Let's pray together. Father, I know that every one of us in this room has brought a lot of baggage into this room. And we're going to be tempted to be preoccupied with that baggage instead of paying attention to you. You're here. We want to dedicate these minutes to you. Help us to sense your presence. Help us to respond to your nudges. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey guys, really glad you're here. Really are. And just a couple of things coming up that I want to make sure you're aware of. This is, uh, to see a few of these around. We passed them out last week. This Wednesday night, we're restarting our Wednesday night growth groups. We'll have a meal at 5.30. We'll have a, a lot of different classes, some great classes. They're going to be starting at 6.30. It's a time when you can kind of dig down together in smaller groups and dig into the Word. And so give it a shot. Maybe you haven't done it before. Give it a shot. Our Wednesday night growth groups, dinner at 5.30, our groups at 6.30. And then the other thing just to make you aware of, during this little series, we're in the middle of a little series on the church, we're going to close off every service with a little bit of training, a little training on how to be a great church. And so I'm going to finish this first part of my sermon, which is going to be the vast majority of it, and then we're going to sing a song and then I'm going to ask the guest services people to station themselves at the door, and if anyone tries to leave, to beat them back into the room, okay? We're not quite done. We will have just a couple of minutes that are going to be really important pieces of training. And so if you try to slip out, we will beat you, okay? I hope not. Okay, how many of you guys, uh, how many guys have kids? Go ahead, you can raise your hands, all right? Don't raise your hands on this one. How many of you guys have kids who perhaps have pushed you away for some reason? Now, maybe they're not pushing you away right now. Maybe you've reconciled. But at some point, your kids pushed you away, and you know exactly what that feels like. You know, one person I was reading said that it's a pain akin to no other. You're hurt, confused, angry, invalidated, empty. What could I have done? What should I have done? I'm not talking about four-year-olds. They always push you away. I'm talking about little kids, right? Sometimes kids push parents away for a pretty good reason. It seems abuse of some sort, neglect. Maybe the parents are over-smothering a kid. But just as often, kids push really good parents away. You know, maybe your kid's partner says something like, you've got to choose them or me, and your kid chooses them instead of you. Maybe the, your kid is doing stuff that you think is dangerous or wrong. Kid pushes you away because he doesn't want to feel your judgment. Maybe your kid rec- uh, resents you because you're just trying to be a parent. You know, in our world, uh, there's a lot of attacks on parents who try to be parents. Or maybe your kid just thinks you're too old, quaint, unsophisticated, and they kind of see you as an embarrassment, so they push you away. Maybe your kid is just rebellious. I mean, you've seen them, kids, just have this rebellious spirit. But for whatever reason, good or bad, that they push you away, it hurts. So, how do you think God feels when you push him away? At least in God's own mind, he's a perfect parent. Loves you way more than you love your kids. Only wants the best for you. He knows what's the best for you. He knows that whenever you push him away, you get less than your best. So how do you think God feels 
when you choose not to do life with him, for him, his way. Do you care what God feels? We're going to get back to that. Guys, here is our why. Capital City Christian Church, here's our why. We're going to talk about church this month, and we need to be clear on why we're doing this stuff. We believe there is a God. You believe in God? We believe there is a God, an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God who is perfectly holy and perfectly loving, and we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. In fact, we believe God sent His Son into the world to win us back because, number two, we actually believe God wants to do life with us. For some crazy reason, your Creator knows you inside and out, and He still is willing to go to hell in your place so that you could go to heaven to be with Him. He wants all of us. He wants all of them to do life with Him through Jesus. And if that doesn't blow your mind, you don't get it. And we believe the church is God's plan to get all this done, His tool. We believe He wants all of those of us who follow Jesus to band together, work together to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are the best chance people have to to come to God through Jesus. So we need to be a great church, guys. Now that idea that God wants to do life with you may sound a wee bit strange to you. It does to me. We use that phrase quite a lot here at Capital City. We talk about doing life with God, for God, God's way. Parts two and three are pretty easy to get. If there really is a God, then it makes sense that he might want you to serve him, right? And if there really is a God, he probably wants you to do life his way. That makes sense. But does he really want to have a personal relationship with you? That the all-powerful, eternal, transcendent creator God wants you to call him dad. Huh. That's wild. And yet it's what he tells us in both the Old and New Covenants. We were created to do life with God. That's why we're here. That's how life was designed to work. Let me show you. The Bible tells us from the very start that we're special as human beings. It tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't really tell us how. It focuses on the who and the why. In the beginning God created everything. And then when everything else is ready, it says God created people. He created us. Here's the key, in his image, in his image, in his own image. We're different. We're not just animals. We're kind of like them, but we're way not. We were the ones given the ability to respond to God or not. We were given the invitation to do life with God or not. We were given this incredible gift of freedom, this incredible gift of choice that they don't have. This mind-blowing invitation to relationship with our Creator that the other creatures of this earth don't share. We were made by God, for God, to do life with God. It's not that God was lonely. and It's not that God is needy. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. It's about this superfluity of grace that he invites us into an unbelievable relationship. Your story, my story, was designed to take its place in his story, which I think explains that amazing name of God, Emmanuel, M-Manuel, the with us God 
a God who wants to do life with us. It's more than just a, a name of God that crops up in the Bible occasionally. It's God's plan for us. It's his dream for us. He wants kids. There's a weird scene in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They've committed their first sin. They've eaten from the only tree that was forbidden to them. That evening, God makes his presence known somehow in the garden. We don't know how. He was wanting to do life with them. And it says they hid. Because that's what sin does. It causes those who are created to do life with God to push him away destroys the intimacy, the fellowship, the relationship with God that we are created for. So God says, where are you? He knew, for pity's sakes, you can't hide from God. But Adam says, I heard you and I hid because I was afraid. Because <laughs> that's what sin does. God's dream is to invite us in, to do life with him, and sin messes it up. It still does. Sin is what causes us to push our God away. God keeps trying. In the Old Covenant, Moses, the lawgiver, he tells this to Moses. He says, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to do life with you. And I'm not going to despise you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk among you. And I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people. That relationship, how amazing is that? God says, I want to be your Emmanuel. 700 years before Jesus, there's this prophet by the name of Isaiah. He says, the Lord himself, God himself is going to give you a sign. Look, a virgin is going to conceive a child. Guess who that's going to be? She's going to give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us now. It's more than a name. It's a dream. Jesus was God working to restore that dream, to do life with his kids, kids who are prone to push him away. 700 years later, an angel will tell Joseph, go take Mary to be your wife. She's pregnant. She's still a virgin. Believe it or not, God can do that. She's going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save everybody from their sins. And you're going to name him Jesus, but he really is the Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's coming to restore God's dream, which took a cross. Someday we believe he's coming back and God is going to finish fixing everything that is broken and for those who accept his gift, there will be Emmanuel again. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 21, right before the end of the Bible story. The apostle John says, I hear a loud shout from the throne of God and it says, look, God's home is now among his people. He's Emmanuel. He's the with us God. He'll live with us. We'll be his people. God will be with us, it says. That's heaven. Emmanuel is God's dream to do life with us. That's why we were created. That's our reason for being. That's how life works. Now listen. What blows my mind is that we take the invitation from God, our creator, his desire to be our Emmanuel, his desire to do life with us, and we blow it off. We push him away. Can you imagine, <laughs> I know you can, if we treated our God like we treat our human parents sometimes. Phone buzzes and just a call from dad, so we let it go to voicemail, right? Or it buzzes and it's a, Text from mom, she texts a lot. You're busy, there are important things you need to take care of, right? 
Your parents want to drop by, but you'd already planned for a night out with friends. Dad comes home, and you're like, I want to go out and hang with my buddies, my girlfriend. And I suppose that stuff can be justified to a point with our human parents, but how do you think it works with God? We sense this nudge from God. We let it go to voicemail. We get a text, a message from God, but we've got other things that are more pressing to us to take care of. He wants us to drop by, but we've already scheduled things that are more important to us right now. He drops in that you want to go out with your buddies or your girlfriend or whatever. (laughs) Stupid kids pushing away a perfect God and we miss the purpose and we miss the joy and we settle. Anytime we push God away, we settle. So how do we do it? How are we supposed to do life with God? In other words, how do we do life well? What does a life well lived look like? And there's a lot of different pieces, I suppose, but I'm going to try to identify three pieces. I know there are more than these three pieces, but these are a good start, doing life with God. You ready? Piece number one, it starts with acknowledging that God is my dad. You acknowledge that he's your dad. It starts with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That's how you start life with God. That's how you start a life done with God, for God, God's way. Listen, guys, if Jesus really is the Son of God, and if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father, to Dad, without going through Him, and if the Father confirmed that by raising Jesus from the dead, then life with God starts by accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the key. It's a starting gate. That's where spiritual life actually starts. That's when we are literally adopted into God's family through Jesus. So I'm asking you, have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you? I'm not asking whether you believe in God. I'm not asking whether you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm asking whether you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You see, God gives every one of us the chance, the choice, the invitation. The Bible says God wants every single one of us. He wants all people, every one of you, every one of them to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth which is in Christ. But God is not going to force himself on you. God doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to be a kid. He doesn't want you to be a robot that he programs. He wants, you, he wants you to be a kid. He wants you to love him back. That only counts if you don't have to. So again, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? And I'm telling you guys, the essence of Christianity is deceptively simple. It really is. It's unconditionally surrendering to Jesus. That's what it means. We accept him as our Savior and our Lord, our Master. Now the new covenant, our covenant, lays out a formal process. There's some steps that we go through to be adopted into his family. It starts with believing. We believe that Jesus is Lord. We believe that he's the unique Son of God through whom salvation is offered. And we surrender control of our life to him. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe. 
So do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, your Savior and your Lord? And then we repent of our sins. We repent. That means more than just feeling bad about them. It's a change of mind. We confess our sin really is sin. And we acknowledge that we really want to do life God's way. The Bible says, repent, turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. So have you repented? And then we confess Jesus before men. We take a stand. That's required. I openly declare that I'm a Jesus follower now. I'm a Christian. I'm one of those who want to do life with God, for God, God's way. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So have you confessed Jesus openly before men? And then we're baptized. And guys, that baptism, that immersion is not an option for us. It's a mandate from our God. Our immersion in that water is our declaration that we are accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. In that baptism, an old part of us is buried and we're raised to a brand new life. I know that baptism doesn't save you on its own, but it's got to be done. It's what we Jesus followers do. The Apostle Paul, Peter says, each of you must repent your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. This surrender, this acceptance of Jesus as our Savior and Lord leads to the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of God's Spirit. It means we're family now. Our Creator becomes our dad. And when you get him as dad, you get us as brothers and sisters. Well, that's good with the bad, right? So, listen, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? And have you repented of your sins? And have you openly confessed Jesus is your Savior and Lord? And have you been immersed? That's how this life with God starts. There is no life with God without this stuff. Next week, 2.30... Sunday afternoon, we're going to have another one of our baptisms at the beach. And if you haven't started this life with God, or if you have started but you haven't completed what He asks you to do to get it started, it's time to get it done. And in a few minutes at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to get it done, if you haven't. But that's piece one, accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Here's piece two. Once you become part of his family, you start going through some of the disciplines, some of the rituals that families do to keep him at the center of your life. There are things we do because we are Jesus followers. There are things we do together because we are a band of Jesus followers. And one of those things is weekly worship. Not just occasional worship, Weekly worship. Listen, guys, God followers, those who are serious about doing life with God, for God, God's way, have been engaging in weekly family worship since the beginning. Because it was written into the rhythm of our life by God at the beginning. It's right there in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. 
It says, on the seventh day, when God had finished his work of creation, he rested from his work, and he blessed that seventh day, and he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. Do you think God rested because he was tired? (laughs) He did it for you. Here's what Moses said. He said, the people of Israel have to keep the Sabbath every seventh day by observing it from generation to generation. It's a covenant obligation for all time. It's a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel because in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day he stopped his work and he was refreshed. You think God was out of gas, needed the refreshment, needed some downtime? No. Did it for us. He was trying to write the weekly day of worship and rest into the rhythm of our life with God. And this is how seriously God expected people to take this seventh day, this day of honoring our God. It was not only one of the Ten Commandments, but it was to be enforced. This is what it says. God says, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. This is Old Covenant. For the Sabbath is the sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It was given that you may know that I'm the Lord who keeps you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day. It's a holy day for you. In fact, anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Holy cow. Can you imagine what it would be like if that was still binding? This place would be empty. And we are not bound by the Sabbath laws of the Old Covenant, thank God. But the rhythm is still there. The rhythm of a day a week to recenter on God, it's still there. We don't do Sabbath anymore. Sabbath means seventh. That's all Sabbath means. We do the first day of the week. We do Sundays. You know why? Because that's the day that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the day that everything changed for everybody for all time. The earliest Jesus followers called this the Lord's Day. And as many of us as were able got together on the Lord's Day to give him the honor and the praise he deserves and to recenter our lives on Jesus. And so we Jesus followers have been doing this for 2,000 years. See, it's not just about accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's about banding together, about gathering together on the Lord's Day as a part of the rhythm of our life. We need it. He deserves it. Which is why the book of Hebrews tells us how serious it is. It says, let us not give up the habit. It's a habit of meeting together as some are doing. But encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. So bottom line, guys, is gathering together for worship on the first day of the week one of your habits? Does it matter to you? Our dad says, I'm going to be here for the Sunday meal every week. He says, I know you're busy. I am too. But he says, this is a priority for me, and I want it to be a priority for my family. Well, He is gathering together to give him the praise he deserves to spend time with our God and the spiritual family and to recenter our life on Jesus, a habit for you. And if not, why not? And here it is, guys. Weekly worship is not about just a ritual. We're not just going through the motions. 
when you gather here, do you actually worship? Do you actually engage God? I mean, in, in this place together, we are entering into the presence of the all-powerful, all-holy God. Go figure. And he wants you to engage his truth and he wants you to sense his grace. So how can a Jesus follower blow off the habit of weekly worship? For his sake, for your sake, for the sake of those we care about, for the sake of those that we're trying to reach for God, are you willing to make weekly worship with your spiritual family a part of the rhythm of your life? I'm going to be asking you to make that commitment in just a few minutes. One more piece. How does life with God work practically? It starts with accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That's what makes us family. Then there's a commitment to weekly worship, real worship. But guys, life with God is not just about Sundays. As Jesus followers, we do life with God every single day. In every environment we find ourselves, at home, at school, at work, at the gym, in the store, wherever, we are doing life with God. It's part of our life now. I wish I had time to unpack this part. I don't. I'm just going to give you a couple of ways as pointers to get you started. You have to develop an awareness of his presence. He's always with you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, bring him into your day. If you see a great sunrise or sunset, it's not just, holy cow, that's pretty. It's, wow, God, how cool is that? When a human, when a friend or a colleague is hurting, it's not just, man, I feel for you, man. It's, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Can you bring God into that moment? When you're about to eat, it's a pause. And then God, thank you. You're amazing. If you're struggling with a temptation, it's a, I need some help here, God. Bring him into your day. Start learning to look at the world through his eyes. Start trying to feel about people with his heart. He's inside of you now. He's trying to stir that stuff. Go with it. It's cool. And then number two, my suggestion is, it's a practice we've done for millennia, take a few minutes every day and give them specifically to him. Doesn't have to be long. But for millennia, we Jesus followers have been spending regular quiet times with God, reading his word and talking with him. I don't care if it's just a verse a day, guys. In fact, I'd recommend you start with the U version verse of the day. Read it, think about it, pray about it. Be sensitive to his nudges. It's amazing how it can change your life to recenter on God every single day. Listen, guys, when you get to the end of life in this world, you're not going to look back and regret all of the golf games you missed. You're not going to look back and regret all of the trips to the mall that you missed. You might regret relationships that you let fade, a relationship with a wife or a husband, a kid, a parent, or a friend. But at that time, don't have any regrets about letting your relationship with God fade. That's what will matter forever, right? Well, here's where the rubber hits the road, guys. We're going to talk about reconnecting with God. 
reconnecting with family, reconnecting with the mission that God has given to us. Bring up the light just a little bit, please. And I'm going to ask you guys to make three commitments to God. Are you ready? Three commitments. These are basic to doing life with God. Are you willing to do this? Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes and don't look around, please. But I do want you to raise your hands. How many of you in this room have accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Raise your hand. Put your hands down, please. Now, how many of you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Please raise your hands. Maybe you have already accepted Jesus as Lord, but you haven't been baptized yet. Are you willing to get it done? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you guys are willing to commit to weekly worship? Please raise your hands. I know, guys, there will be times when you can't, but are you willing to make it a top priority? And just one more. How many of you guys are willing to commit to doing life with God outside this room? A day a week, every, every day in the week, to develop a sense of His presence and perhaps to give just a couple of minutes specifically to God every single day, would you raise your hands? Now listen, guys. Especially on that first one. You can look around now if you want. If you acknowledge that you need to make Jesus the Savior of your life, your Lord and your Savior, please do not leave this room without talking to one of us. At the end of this service, there's going to be elders in that prayer room. There'll be a couple of us down front. In the connections room out in the foyer, we're going to have staff and elders. And we want to talk to you. If you need to make a commitment to upgrade your life with God, we want to talk to you. Remember, we're going to have our baptisms at the beach next week. Guys, don't put off doing the right thing. Now let's sing a song of praise to our God.